David Chandler's going, John Minns is gone, Eleni Petinos is gone, Stuart Ayres is gone. Who's next? Yes, maybe Dominic Perrottet. Well, we'll see. We'll be talking about that and other much more interesting and less important things <laughs> from the forum later on. I'm Jimmy Thompson. I write the Flat Chat column for the Australian Financial Review. And I'm Sue Williams, and I write about property for Domain. And this is the Flat Chat Wrap. Do you think Dominic Perrottet is in danger of losing his job? Well, all these things are happening under his reign, aren't they, really? And I mean, obviously, he wasn't, well, we don't know, but we must assume that he probably wasn't a part of it because the origins of all these scandals started a long time ago. But he was obviously a power broker within the party. Well, you know, they say that it's not the crime that gets you, it's the cover-up. Well, yeah. And I'm not suggesting for a moment that any crime has of occurred. Of course not. Or any cover-up. <laughs> I think there's been a cover-up. <laughs> I mean, Perrottet sacked Petinos within a day of coming back from an overseas trip on the, I was going to say pretext, on uh, on the belief, grounds. on the grounds that she had been bullying or she'd been accused of bullying in her office. And this was kind of backed up by quite a lot of turnover of staff. Mm. But, but, then, he didn't, he, but then he denied it was anything to do with David Chandler, didn't he? He did. And then we saw David Chandler's letter mm. where he detailed, well, sort of suggested that pressure had been brought to bear by, first of all, Petinos and then John Barilaro, who has got his own set of scandals to deal with. And then in that letter, you know, David Chandler said um, his position was untenable. Mm, it was a pretty explosive letter, wasn't it, really? Yeah, and he said, this is not negotiable. He said, I'm mm. leaving, it's not negotiable. They've obviously negotiated a later date <laughs> for his departure. Presumably, when someone says it's not negotiable, that's under the present reign. Yeah. And with Eleni Petanos gone, you'd kind of think suddenly it becomes negotiable again, perhaps. People keep asking me, do you think he'll come back? Mm. Do you think he'll come back? Mm. I think he could have until that letter was published. Well, because John Barillaro is gone and Eleni Petinos is gone, I think it's quite possible that he could be brought back. Mm. Because really, you know, he was a, a great um, ambassador for the New South Wales government. They were actually doing an awful lot. And I yeah. think he became this really popular figure. And uh, so if they did bring him back, I think it would be a bit of a coup for them, really. It would be a plus amongst all these many minuses. Yeah. And they probably don't want to wait until the next election. If a Labour government gets in and brings him back, yeah. that's an even more kind of triumphant yeah, um, yeah. move, really. So they could try and get in earlier. I guess the Premier has left himself a bit of wriggle room in that he said, well, I didn't sack her because of his letter anyway. Yeah. I sacked her because of this, another explosive report about <laughs> sexual harassment and, mm. and bullying in Parliament House. Quick to judgment, you think. You know, somebody shows them a report, somebody says one of your ministers has been guilty of this, and he goes, right, on your on your way. But that's a good thing. And, I mean, he wants to look strong and he wants to look powerful and he wants to look as if he, he won't brook any suggestion of, of you know, sexual Misconduct impropriety or, or yeah. bullying or, you know, treating people badly. 
So I think that was probably quite a good move for him. I mean, we hadn't seen the evidence on which he sacked Petinos. Yeah. To sack her rather than persuade her to resign, Yeah. that's a pretty big move. Yeah. And then and over on the other side, we've got the punch-up between Matt Keane and... David Elliott. David Elliott. Mm. Where, I mean, my money's on Matt Keane. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's a really smart guy. Mm. David Elliott must be why he has chosen to go for the jugular in that yeah. way. What was the phrase he used? Sending a boy to do a man's job. Yes. Ouch. Yeah, it, it's not good for the party, is it, either? It doesn't look great. I mean, I think that's the worst thing for Perrottet at the moment, is that he looks like his party is totally out of control. Mm, it's kind of disintegrating, really. You kind of think, you know, is there an option for him to call a snap election? I don't think they can. Maybe, think... He'll, maybe he'll bring Gladys back. They haven't had the the full report on Gladys yet, though, have they? Well, that's something else. They, mm. They're probably were hoping to keep the lid on that until mm. after the election. But I think in New South Wales there are set election terms. Okay. You could only have a, an early election if the opposition agreed, like oh, at, at the whole of Parliament voted. Yeah. But it's interesting, um, Minns, the opposition leader in New South Wales. Chris, not John. Yeah. <laughs> He um, seems to be coming out of this quite well, doesn't he? he seemed, mm. I mean, I hadn't really kind of seen him much before. No. But he's been appearing regularly now. Yeah. And he speaks with real authority. He's very clear and decisive. And I, I must say, I'm quite impressed by him. Mm. It's funny that we were watching TV and, you know, it, it came up with the the name thing. Mm. <laughs> Chris Minns, leader of the opposition. We went, oh, that's what he looks like. Yes. yes. I wasn't aware of him at all before. No. Yeah, you're right. So let's assume that... David Chandler leaves in uh, November, November the end of mm. November. Are we going to be back to square one with defects? Oh, let's hope not. But th- those extreme powers that he was given, they still belong to the office, and he does have a deputy who yeah. he's been kind of mentoring in lots of ways. Yeah. So maybe, I mean, the deputy is a lot less high profile, a lot less experienced. They might not have the same authority that David has always commanded. But, you know, the powers are still there, so maybe they will still be used. I don't think we can go back to the situation before. I don't know. When you look at that, look at Chandler's letter. Mm. Politicians. Politicians saying, being pressured by developers into interceding. Mm. That's what it's all been about in the past. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a, a, a suggestion with David Chandler that the politicians are thinking – we will never let anyone else become more powerful than us Mm. because that's what happened with him. He was going in and doing basically what he'd been asked to do, which was to kick arse and take names. And he was so effective that he was becoming a political force in his own right. Yeah, he didn't see the danger coming from the right flank, really. I think he did, but because we wrote about this and said that, you know, we could see him pulling Mm. back a bit and Mm. and saying, it's not me, it's my team, it's not me, it's Mm. my office. Mm. But I think the damage had been done in that respect. The politicians are going, yeah, you are more popular than us. We have to do something about that. Mm. And that's the media, really. I mean, we we tend to kind of go for personalities rather than – Offices, obviously, because that's what we want to we want to hear about. We want to hear about colourful David Chandler. We don't want to hear about just the bureaucracy, really. Mm. And so we kind of tend to personify politics a lot, right? And that was obviously to his detriment. Yeah, I think so. All right. When we come back, we're talk- going to talk about another 
allegedly crumbling building in Sydney. That's after this. So there's another building we heard last week that is, well, some people say it's in danger of falling down and the developers say it isn't. Mm, and I think they've got competing claims from different engineers, haven't they, saying different things? Yeah, so the the vicinity building, which has been in the news before because... Yeah. In Canterbury, I think, in yeah. southwest Sydney, yep. And, now, and it was in the news before because their uh, engineer, structural engineer that they'd hired because of defects came in and said, I think there'd been an, an earthquake somewhere <laughs> um, in Australia. And this guy said, oh, if there was an earthquake here, this whole building would fall down. Oh, my God. And so there was fears that they mm. would be in a mascot tower situation with everybody being thrown mm. out of the building and people not wanting to stay in the building in case it was dangerous. Mm. But then there wasn't an earthquake and it didn't fall down. But now they've got these giant sort of um, lifting machines, props. They're big, giant props that mm. uh, uh, they look like the size of a commercial fridge almost. Mm. And they are pushing up the, the building at a couple of points, um, which the engineers say, they talk about load transfer. You know, and if you look at the structure of a building, basically it sits on pillars so, but it's not a case of all the load going on to where the pillars are. It's designed in a way that the load is spread across almost like a bridge, if you want okay. to. So is it a temporary solution or is it a permanent solution? Well, I think it, it looks like a temporary solution, but mm. I mean, what are they going to do? Are they going to put, are they going to build more pillars in their car park or, or mm. you know, that's up to the engineer. But the developers came along and did, x-rayed the foundations and whatever and came back and said look there's no problem here this is an overreaction who do you believe mm, it's very hard i mean it? you're an owner in a building like that you've got the the engineers saying this building is in danger and you've got the developers saying no it's not it's fine who would you put your money on mm. i think always the engineer wouldn't you really but then if you've got your engineer they've got their engineer I guess then you have to go to another engineer. Right. It's like well, having two watches. You never know what the right time yeah, is. Yeah, the old saying. Mm. Um, yeah, I th I look, I think the the owner's corporation is basically going to say, well, we've got our engineer in and we got them in for a reason and presumably mm. they've got somebody who's highly reputable um, who is going to say what they believe is true, whereas the developers, are they going to be slightly biased? Are they mm. going to say to their engineer, rather than saying to them, discover if there's any faults here, are they going to say, discover this, if there's a way that we can't be held liable for any <laughs> faults? It's hard because I don't know if it's going to go to court. It could well end up in court. Can't put money on it. And then the court will end up deciding, I guess. They'll yeah. get in a number of engineers to... Yeah. To present their reports. Happy days for engineers. Mm. And at the same time, I don't think we've mentioned before about Mascot Towers having settled. Right. And uh, it's kind of good that they've reached a settlement, which is uh, confidential. But um, we don't believe that the settlement is a particularly generous one to the owners, I don't think. No. So I think that's been a really sad, sorry saga, Yeah. which I has now reached a conclusion, but a very sad conclusion for those owners. 
as we said last week, you know, if you're going to buy do a buyback for houses that were wiped out in the flood, mm. why are you not doing one for houses that fell down? Yes. People bought them in good faith, believing they would be protected by the law mm. and discovering yeah. that, that no such thing happens. Absolutely, yeah. When we come back, I am going to be putting Sue Williams on the spot. She's going to be Strata Guru of the Week, and we're going to have a look at some questions that came up in the forum. And she's now looking at me in horror. Oh, I am. <laughs> <laughs> That's after this. Here at Flat Chat, we're always telling people that one of the benefits of apartment living is that you can just lock up and leave when you want to take a holiday. Well, if you're looking for some inspiration on where to go to make the most of your freedom, take a look at mildrover.com, our website for seasoned travelers. It has news, reviews, and special travel deals in which you can literally save thousands of dollars. That's M-I-L-D-R-O-V-E-R.com, the website that takes you somewhere fantastic, even if you don't leave home. All right, Sue, we've had a few questions on the forum, and you've been around strata schemes for a while. I'd be interested to hear your opinion okay. on these questions that were raised. Is this where I give an opinion and you immediately shoot me down? <laughs> of course not, but that was just shooting you down. Um, question number one, somebody's been putting pot plants on the wall of their balcony, Ooh. and... At least one of them has fallen down <gasps> onto a pathway below. Ooh. But the person who owns the pot plants denies that that was their pot plant. The owner's corporation want to get the person to take the pot plants down, and the person who owns the pot plants are saying, you can't make me. What, do they, what does the owner's corporation do? Well, they first look in to see whether the balcony is common property mm -hmm. or whether it's a private pro private property. So if mm -hmm. it's common property, they can easily order that the pot plants be taken down. Right. And, you know, in this situation, of course, it's nice to have pot plants there. But really, inside the balcony, it's very easy to buy one of those little structures and you can put your pot plants on the top of that structure, which is just behind the balcony railing. So it's not going to tumble. They're not so going it will to never fall off. down. But the plants will kind of grow up and grow down and sort of trail nicely over the balcony. So it will yeah. create a similar kind of effect. But it won't be any danger to people below because it could kill somebody. Well, I mean, there was a, last year, I think it was, or earlier this year, there were some really high winds in Sydney. Mm. And there was a man killed by a flying gas canister. Oh, yeah, sure. Now, and, and I don't know what the circumstances of that were, but, you know, mm. obviously the gas canister was sitting on the balcony and the wind just picked it up. And yeah, it was presumably empty because otherwise a full gas canister would be quite heavy. Yeah. But, you know, lots of people, they'd have an empty gas canister, they would put it out on the balcony to, to create a bit more room and think, I'll go and get that filled later on. And, mm. yeah, wouldn't actually see anything like that happen. And if the balcony was private property, I think the owners' corporation could still make a very strong case that it was a danger to other residents and other people outside. Would they have to pass a bylaw? I think they would then. Yeah. If it is private property, they would have to pass a bylaw. But, but under, if it's common property, which we think it is, they can say that's common property. You cannot right. leave those things there. In my opinion. Yeah, in your, um, your opinion. Oh, that's that's right. They wouldn't need to make a bylaw. And now you can tell me whether that's right or not, Jimmy. No, I think you're right. Oh, great. I think that's what I've said in the forum in my oh, okay. response and pointing out that 
we seem to be living in times when there are a lot of extreme winds. Yeah, sure. So anybody who puts pot plants on their balcony, on the on the wall, on the top of the wall on the balcony is nuts. Mm, and yeah. uh, it's a nice thing to do, but, you know, there when pot plants start flying around in high winds. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, question number two. Somebody's written, She's uh, she lives overseas, and she rents out her apartment here, and the whole building has just had fire safety checks, you know, where they come around and they spray the smoke alarms. Mm. And to check that they're working. Check that they're working. So the whole building's had that, and that everything's passed muster. But now her real estate agent has said, you have to have a separate fire safety check for your apartment. Why? Because, well, they're saying, um, and it's true, you know, the Residential Tenancies Act, you've got to have a certain number of smoke alarms, mm. right? And they're saying, well, the, the whole building thing doesn't cover that. And by the way, here's the name of the fire safety inspector that we will be employing to go to your apartment and check that the smoke alarms are there and working. Are you a bit suspicious? Absolutely, yeah. Because, I mean, how much is it going to cost to get a fire inspector into that apartment? Yeah. Presumably, I don't know, $400 at least. I don't know. Quite a lot of um, money. Some of it, which you can assume is going to end up in the, the rental agent's pocket. Yeah. And so if if the building's fire person has gone and checked all the, the fire alarms and checked they're all working, so we know they're all working, we just don't know if there are enough. Mm. The real estate agent, when he goes in for his six-monthly inspection or quarterly inspection, should be able to just look at the ceiling and say, oh, there's, you've got four or you've got five or you've got six, and they will be able to judge whether they, there are enough. And they know that they work because they professional do, because fire safety people. Checked. Yeah. Yes. So I think... I think this rental agent is on the fiddle. Oh, well, so, we, we maybe, don't know. Yeah. Maybe they're overzealous. That's right. Yeah, may, maybe so, yes. Yeah. And maybe they're inexperienced or oh, they don't know better. I mean, I think it's wrong to attribute to malice what could be just ignorance. Okay. To oh. paraphrase the The phrase that the I phrase. use a lot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, look, but I think it reminds me of the, the people who get uh, statutory managers Mm. on their building and the tradies who are friends with those statutory managers who say mm. it's like a license to print money mm. because the statutory manager can just organize any work that they feel needs to be done that's right and the and owners can, have absolutely no say and it. they can choose the tradies mm. so I, I wonder if this rental agent has lined up a few places for his fire safety inspector who doesn't actually need to go in there mm. we think mm. yep Yep, I think there's a much cheaper option to that. And finally... This is quite good being a strata guru. Hmm. <laughs> uh, finally, there's a question that's come up. Is a building that has a lot of money in its sinking fund, in its maintenance fund, but should they're short of cash in their admin fund? And the strata manager has recommended the raise a special one-off levy, special levy, to fill up the admin fund coffers. Wow, that's a bit odd. Can they not just transfer money from one fund to the other? Well, the law says that the admin fund, or sorry, the, the maintenance fund, can lend money to the admin fund. Oh, well, why don't they just do that? 
and the Act says that the owner's corporation must make arrangements within three months to repay the money. Okay, well, when a levy's due? Well, every year. But, you know, you, every a, quarter. Every quarter, yeah. So that, therefore, you could lend money from one account to the other yep. and repay it within a quarter with the next lot of levies. And then pay it back. Yeah. And then lend it again if need be, or lend a slightly smaller amount or whatever. This strata manager has taken a very hard line on it. He says he's been to lots of conferences and it's been made clear that the money must be paid back in the three months. Even mm. though the law says arrangements must be made, mm. it doesn't say the money must be repaid. He, this strata manager is saying, no, 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 I've been at conferences where they've said the money has to be repaid in three months. I think I'm going to go out on a limb here and mm. say I think that's bullshit. Yeah. I mean, special levies should only happen in really extreme circumstances, mm. especially when you've got a big, healthy sinking fund. Yeah. You know, it's ridiculous to ask owners then to pay extra yeah. when there's no real reason. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I think the, the owners, I mean, it's quite interesting, the debate on the forum, because people are saying, look, you don't want to get the wrong side of the law mm. because you will get owners, disgruntled owners who will come along and say, ah, you fiddled the money, therefore we should have a statutory manager employed, mm. which I think would be a very extreme outcome. I can't yeah. see that happening in this case. But I think responsibly using your finances so that it's all very well for the strata manager to say, oh, we need a special levy to fill up the the the, the funds well, not everybody is able, especially no. these days. Mm, you yeah. know, people are getting hit by higher mortgages, higher cost of living. Mm, I mean, they're stuck in bills. Yeah, all that stuff. And then just to sort of casually say, oh, yeah, you, we, we're going to hit you with a special levy when they don't need to. Mm. It just seems administratively that's a really simple, clear solution. Yeah. But with a bit of extra work and effort... It could a bit be of creative accounting. Yeah. I mean, even if you got out a strata loan for a month yeah. um, to pay into the administrative fund so that you've got enough cash, yeah. and then you could repay it with the sinking fund yeah. in a month's time or something. Yeah. Because you mean, could probably take money out of the sinking fund to repay a strata loan, couldn't you? Not really. Sinking, the maintenance fund is supposed to be used just for maintenance. I, mean, mm. I, I think the problem is in the past – some strata managers have said, look, you've got the maintenance fund here. We're going to move the money over and we'll just keep borrowing. Mm. We'll pay it back and then borrow it again, pay it back and then borrow it again. And that has led, and that has led on some occasions to maintenance being required and no money being in the maintenance fund to do it, mm. which I think is quite a rare occurrence. Mm. So I think, as I say, a bit of creative accounting and these people would be spared the special levy. And special levies are just, okay, some people can pay no problem at all. Other people, it's a real impost on their... Yeah, their, yeah. Uh, especially as you say, with people, their budgets are so squeezed at the moment. And people budget for the next year. Yeah. And to suddenly spring an extra bill on them that they hadn't been expecting... But it it's does. It's a, it's a good illustration of the kind of range of strata managers that you can get. Mm. There are some who are totally by the book mm. and won't do anything that you know they think might be a little bit kind of stretching the boundaries, but do that out of the best intentions, looking after their their, mm. their buildings. 
And then you get some, as we know, who just aren't even aware that there are rules. They mm. just make it up as they go along. <laughs> uh, you don't want to be dealing with them either. All right, Sue, so well done. You're Strataguru for a week. Excellent. Do I get a badge or something? I was uh, just going to say we'll get a badge made for you. <laughs> we'll get something you can sew onto your, your uh, jacket. <laughs> <laughs> and you're off to South Africa. Yes, tomorrow. Yep. Yeah, I'm uh, doing a travel job, so I'll be going on a, a few wildlife safaris. Mm. Such a hard life, isn't it, really? Yeah. And uh, sort of, so I'm going to Joburg, but um, traveling to a, a few wildlife um, parks uh, about three hours north, just past Pretoria. Right. So, um, and we've yeah. just been to Canberra, the Writers' Festival there, where yeah. you appeared. Yep, yep. I was presenting on a book called Daughter of the River Country with a fabulous Aboriginal woman called Auntie Di O'Brien. Yep. And, um, yeah, it was it was terribly nerve-wracking, but it seemed to go well. There was lots of famous people there, and I yeah. just had a terrible case of imposter syndrome while I was there, <laughs> but we got through it. I was in the green room with Dr. Norman Swan, and somebody walked up to him. He was reading, and somebody walked up to him and said, Oh, Norman, are we ever going to get rid of COVID? And he just said, No, and went back to his book. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, I was in the breakfast queue with Stan Grant, Tracy Holmes, Richard Feidler, and uh, yeah, I um, it was quite amazing, wasn't it? Really, yeah. to be in that kind of company. Yeah, a couple of years ago, we bumped into Brian Brown and Rachel Ward, and Rachel Ward starred in Rain Shadow, a TV show that I co-wrote with mm. uh, Tony Morfitt. And I went up to them and said, oh, hi, Rachel. And she didn't mm. remember me, I don't think. But Brian Brown said, oh, you're that guy who does the radio stuff about apartments. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. Okay, uh, off you go. Go and get packed. Okay. Ready for South Africa. And uh, we'll talk to you when you get back. Okay, fantastic. Thanks, right. Jimmy. Thank you, Sue. And thank you all for listening. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Flat Chat Wrap podcast. You'll find links to the stories and other references on our website, flatchat.com.au. And if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast completely free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Flat Chat Wrap with a W, click on subscribe, and you'll get this podcast every week without even trying. Thanks again. Talk to you again next week.